why baptism? Why should we do it? What is baptism and who should receive baptism? And so I I ask those basic questions because even though you may say, well, I know all about this. I've heard this a lot. This is a Baptist church. We have a statement of faith that outlines these things. A lot of individuals are very confused about baptism. One is children. Children are often very confused about baptism. I think it was Lydia when she was young. Yeah, I'm talking about you. Um, (laughs) I got the eyes. When she was young, uh, we had a baptism at the church, and she came to me afterwards and she said, Dad, I really like baptisms, B-A-T-H, baptisms. <laughs> and, uh, and I said, why is that? And she goes, she goes, it's just so neat to watch everybody get in the bath with their clothes on. Um, <laughs> but you could see how a child could be confused if we're not clearly teaching what is happening and what is represented when we have baptisms. Children aren't the only ones. Adults are very confused often about baptism. Many adults have have been baptized, have been immersed, even Baptists that I've met, and they're good, faithful people. But baptism is kind of assumed, and it was something that they might have done when they were very young. And so they forget why exactly it was that they were baptized. They remember, they remember the event. It's a, it's a landmark in their life, but they forget what exactly was that that was going on. Why was it important? We also have to be mindful of non-Christians. The, the world is, is more and more, our culture is more and more full of people. I'm trying to say this in many different settings to all of you to help us understand and think about this. The world is more and more full today. Our, even our culture, um, I haven't decided if, if Florida is the South yet or just New York replacement. I don't, I, <laughs> I don't know what to call it. This, we, we are South, but we're not South. So I, I don't know how to say it. But even in church cultures, predominantly what has been church cultures, we have to remember that, that we have generations now that have never been in church. We have, we have children whose parents and possibly even grandparents out of the baby boomer generation were never a part of church. And so we can't assume that they understand the things like baptism. We can't uh, uh, just assume that they understand what's going on. We have to be clear and we have to articulate. And the reason we have to be clear and we have to articulate is because baptism is not just about church history. It's not just about uh, tradition. It's not just about, um, you know, something that, 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 that we do that's so beautiful and the families come. And that's great. I'm glad that when we baptize individuals, their families come and extended families will come sometimes and they take pictures and everybody greets them and you go out to eat and it's a wonderful time. And, you know, even, even most of you, myself included, I was a little older when I was baptized, but, but most of you might have been young children and you still remember that day. Because your family and your church, they they made it a big deal. And I think it should be a big deal. But the reason it should be a big deal is because it's all about Jesus. Baptism is all about our salvation. That's what I want to get to the the point as we we come out here. It's it's not about tradition. It's not uh, about just, you know, just there is a symbolism involved. But it's about Jesus. It's about what Christ has done for us. Baptism is showing the world, showing on the outside what Jesus has done on the inside. Both of the things that Jesus left and commanded for us to do, baptism and the Lord's Supper, are both about the gospel. They are both, they're dramas. People ask, all, you know, people ask, well, why don't we do dramas in the church? Why don't we have more drama in the church? Jesus gave us two dramas to do in the church, didn't he? Baptism and the Lord's Supper. 
That we are showing that, that I have been buried with Christ in death and raised to walk in newness of life because of the gospel and because of my belief in it and what it means to me. When we take the Lord's Supper, that we, 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 we take the bread and we take the cup that represent the body and the blood of Jesus Christ and we take it internally to show that we are identifying with this. This is us. We are members of this. We are in Christ. And so we have these two wonderful things. And we have to be careful not to just make them a tradition. Motions that we walk through. Because I honestly think that one of the main reasons that Jesus gave us these two ordinances and said to do them regularly is because he wanted to ensure that the gospel continued to be proclaimed. Because as long as you, 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 take, you take a church that's not maybe clear about the gospel, but if they're clear about baptism, guess what they're preaching? The gospel. It's still there. See, in these things that we do, the gospel remains. It's the center of what we're doing. So let's begin. Why baptism? And if you go ahead and turn to Matthew 28, you, you, I'll, I'll catch up to you here in a second. Turn to Matthew 28, the, the Great Commission. And, and so the first question is, why baptism? And it's simple. The, the first part I want to say here is because the Lord commanded it. Jesus himself says that we're to be baptized. He says, be baptized. Um, look at, if you're, if you're in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, this is the Great Commission. It's a passage we're familiar with. It says, go therefore, make disciples of all nations. Okay, this is the missionary call. Go make disciples of all nations. And when we make disciples, what are we supposed to do? Baptize. Baptize. Baptizing them... In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, this is a, a Trinitarian confession. A Trinitarian confession that, that God has saved me by the work of Jesus Christ and He has called me to repentance through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what we're saying when we say the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're all three involved in our salvation. They're all three involved in our salvation. And so, baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, here's something interesting. It doesn't stop there. I have emphasized this. You guys know that I will... Uh, what, is, what is discipleship? It's not just enough to say discipleship because this passage defines for us what discipleship is. Teaching them to obey. Growing in Christ. Growing in the knowledge of the Lord. Teaching to obey all that I have commanded. What's one thing in the Great Commission that Jesus has commanded? Be baptized. That's why if you've ever heard somebody say that baptism is the first step of your life in Christian faith. It's your first step of obedience. Has anybody ever heard that preached? Right? You've said it? Okay. So you all must have heard it. You, you all remember everything that Ray preached, right? <laughs> it's the first step of obedience. Why? Because Jesus makes it very clear here, doesn't he? If, if you're a disciple... I command you to do all that I've obeyed. You, you're supposed to be learning to do the things that I've commanded. And within that whole call is be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Be baptized. And so Jesus commands it. This is, you know, uh, baptism and the Lord's Supper both are doctrines that are, even within Baptist circles, being very de-emphasized lately. There's not a lot of emphasis to it. There's a lot of 
wiggle room sometimes in some Baptist churches. We don't take the stand that we used to. You, you have to remember, our Anabaptist forefathers, they died because they believed this text so much, because they believed in what baptism said so much, because they wanted to recover what the early church did. They were drowned. You want to be baptized? Go all the way. It's a major doctrine. It's an important doctrine. And it's a simple doctrine, really, in Scripture. So, so why? The first is because Jesus commands it. He commands us to be baptized. He commands us to follow in obedience. And the first step of obedience that we see, even within the Great Commission, is that if we call ourselves disciples, then we should be willing to come forth and be baptized. It's, it's pretty clear that connection there, isn't it? The second, the second why baptism And that's because baptism represents our union in Christ. If you turn to Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, this is a, this is a very important passage when we're talking about baptism. There's no water here. This isn't, this isn't a, a passage where somebody is being baptized. This is a passage where Paul takes the time to, to speak about the doctrine of baptism. What is actually happening when we're baptized. And so it's very important for us to understand here and to look at it. So if you have Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 4, let me read it for you. It says, do, not, do you not know that all of us have been baptized into, <clears throat> into Christ Jesus, who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, have been baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. What Paul lays out here is that, that we, we have been, when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we have been baptized into Christ's death. This is what hap- is happening on the inside. This is how he explains what baptism is, is that there is a death and there is a resurrection. There is a death and there is a resurrection. If you paid attention after I baptized Krista, and sometimes I do it as I'm baptizing, I never seem to do it two times the same way, but I always want to say somewhere in that, buried with Christ, raised to walk in newness of life. Because that's what's happening. Baptism represents externally what's happening on the inside. And in the the late 19th century, early, mid-20th century, there became this emphasis on altar calls and coming forward. And I'm not against that. You know that I, I, I ask all of you at the end of, I, I ask people to respond. If you want to come forward, you can come forward. It can be abused. We've probably all seen that. But what I want to make clear is, is that up until this time, the church equated that you were a Christian not because you came forward, but because you came for baptism. That's when you identify with the church. That's why when you, when you come forward to be saved, are you automatically a church member? No, not in our church, not according to our constitution. But Krista came and was baptized. She's now baptized into the family of faith and into the membership of this church. Because she identified publicly before all of you that I believe in Jesus Christ and I want to follow him. And part of following him is committing to a local body. And so she came to be baptized. Baptism represents on the outside what Jesus has done on the inside. 
what Jesus has done on the inside. So if Christ has saved us, if we are buried with him, then we're raised to walk in newness of life. We want to tell and show others. Let me tell you, baptism is easy here. Go to the Middle East. Go to a Muslim country. I have friends that are missionaries, and one of the hardest steps that they can get is they can get individuals to, 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 to understand Jesus. They can get them to say that they've committed to Jesus. But you know what the hardest thing is for them to do? Is to get individuals in Muslim countries from Muslim backgrounds to come before the church publicly and to be baptized, to say, I am a Christian. I am a Christian. In Indonesia... Uh, a few years ago, I don't know if it's still the same, but you used to have, you, had, you would have to put your Christian, your, your, your religious identity on your driver's license. And it was making huge religious persecution throughout the country. I hope they've changed it, but they may not have. It is to identify with Jesus Christ. It is to publicly identify. This is an important thing. Christ wants us to publicly recognize him. Remember the passage where Jesus says, if you deny me before others, I will deny you before the Father. It's a big deal, isn't it? Christ wants us to publicly acknowledge what he has done on our behalf. And baptism does that. That's the the tool in which God has has ordained, that, that Christ has instituted in the church. He says, go make disciples and baptize them. At the day of Pentecost, we'll look at this passage, but at the day of Pentecost, men come forward and, and Peter says, repent and be baptized. Show yourself, show to the world what Christ has done on the inside. Salvation is a personal matter. Baptism is a public matter testifying to that. It is a public matter testifying to that. And so we see that baptism represents our union with Christ. And there's many other passages that we could look at with this. Again, I'm, I'm trying to keep this brief. Um, baptism, we know, we know, looking back at this Romans passage, we know that Paul wouldn't say that baptism is the means of our salvation. This is Paul who says, by grace we are saved through faith. Okay? It's not the means... It is a representation of what God has done. Let let me give you an example. My wife gave me a wedding ring when we got married. Not this wedding ring. I lost the original wedding ring, so this is the replacement. She's reminding me. Okay? Makes makes the illustration all the better. Thanks, babe. Um, So when we got married, she put a ring similar to this, but of pure gold, on my finger and said, with this ring... I the wed. Was it the ring that made her married to me? No, it was not the ring. In fact, if it was, I'd be in trouble because I lost the ring. <laughs> the ring is a symbol of the commitment. The, the ring is a symbol of, of what we committed to together, of what we covenanted to do. Baptism, in the same way, is a symbol to symbolize and show that Christ has saved me. And I publicly want to identify with him, serve with the local church, be a part of the local church to do ministry on behalf of Christ because he has saved me and changed me and empowered me. That's what baptism is. Baptism does not save you. We, we, there are individuals that would argue and say that, that baptism saves, that without being baptized, you can't go to heaven. And it's wrong. 
the, the best illustration, the most simple illustration of this is remember the day that Christ is crucified. There are two others on the cross. One believes in Christ. And what does Christ tell him? Today you will be with me in paradise. He wasn't baptized. There was no time. We should want to follow the Lord in baptism. It is part of the great commandment. It is a commandment of the Lord that we should do. We should, if Christ has saved us and changed our hearts and given us new desires and new affections and a new life, we should want to identify with that publicly and tell others and join and be part of the fellowship. We should want to do all of that. But that does not save you. Similarly, a lot of people are are mistaken and they think perhaps maybe if if a holy man does something, they get superstitious. You know, a holy man baptized me, so I must be good. There's no emphasis on the gospel. There's no emphasis on salvation. Have you met these individuals? Have you met? There's, there's lots of people running around that have gotten wet but have not gotten baptized. Because what was happening was not the true meaning. I meet people often who are not Christians. They do not have a Christian testimony. They do not have a Christian life. But they have soothed their guilt by saying, oh, I was, I was baptized once, so I must be good now. Baptism doesn't keep you from going to heaven. And baptism in the same way does not save you. Jesus saves you. It is the Lord that saves us. It is our trust and our faith in Him. It's not adding something to it. Listen to this. Paul, uh, Paul writes in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, and he says, For grace you have been saved. For by grace you have been saved. By grace, by grace in Jesus Christ, that Jesus has taken mercy on us, that, that Jesus has not given us the wrath and the punishment that we deserve, but instead came and took the wrath and the punishment that we deserve upon himself. He bore that guilt for our sake. That he may take the punishment and give us his grace. That salvation might be available. It says, so, so how do we get this? How does this grace come? Paul goes on and says, you are saved by grace through faith. Through faith. The access to grace, the access to salvation comes because we believe in what Jesus has done for us. We recognize that we are sinners. We repent of our sins and we trust. We wholly trust in Jesus Christ. Not just words. It's not a, it's not a chant. It's not an incantation. It's not something that you just say and automatically, poof, now you're saved. It is a change of heart within yourself. It is a new affection, a new love, a new desire, a change, a regeneration, a being made new, the Bible says. That's what saves us through faith. It's not, there's nothing that we add to it. The Galatian Christians tried to add something to it. If you read through Galatians, Paul writes very sternly to the Galatians. Because they have been led by a group that has come to say, if you're saved... You trust in Jesus, but then you get circumcised. If you're not circumcised, it doesn't count. Paul writes some very harsh words in response to this. Read through Galatians sometime. Read read through Galatians. The whole point of Galatians is Jesus plus anything equals nothing. If, If you believe that salvation is Jesus Plus, 
I have to do this, that's not salvation. Now, true salvation does motivate us to want to live for Jesus. We're going we're to look at that as we go through James. James is going to write and say, if you have faith, there should be evidences of faith. If it's true faith, then there should be evidences. It should do something in your life. It's not a cold, dead faith that has no actions, no works, no outpouring. It can't be seen. That's not faith. But that's not what saves us. Jesus does. So why baptism? Baptism is commanded. Baptism represents our salvation. And we got to remember that baptism does not save us. It's, it's not the thing that saves us. But what is baptism? What is baptism? And this is a, a very big question. You go back to Romans chapter 6. We've been all over. I don't know if you're still there or not. Um, <laughs> if you're in Romans 6... And, and we've looked at this. The, it, it clearly lays out the theological meaning of baptism is what? Death, resurrection to new life. You can't do that with sprinkling. You can't do that with pouring. It can't be done. The word baptism throughout all, all of the words, all of the nouns, all of the verbs, they mean immerse. They literally mean a nurse or to dip. One of the older translations of the Bible talked about John the Dipper. The word baptism came. It's a, it's a, it's an English translation of the Greek word baptizo. It is a, it is a, a word that was made up. Baptism is just specifically to represent what the Bible talks about. If, if, if the literal translation would have been kept, then all of your passages where you read the word baptism would say immersed or immersing. You have been immersed. Be immersed. Um, that's, that's what it means. It means to go under the water. And, and we see this in text. Even those, even those who, who practice infant baptism or sprinkling our Presbyterian friends, they will say, John Calvin, the greatest theologian of the Presbyterian translation or tra- tradition, he, he writes in the Institutes that the early church practiced immersion and that the word baptized means immersion. It's, it's not disputed. There's a, why do they do it? Well, church history. They're trying to find overly continuity between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Again, I, we could go into all of this. That's not really what I want to do this morning. But I want to say that there is a burden of proof to be shown. I mean, I see, I see sprinkling in the Bible as much as I see unicorns. Neither one shows up. If we're going to be true to Scripture, if we want to carry out what Scripture says, it's very clear. Baptism is the word means to be immersed. The meaning means that we're showing and representing the death, our, our, our death in Christ and our raised, being raised in newness of life. So immersion makes sense that we go under and that we come up, we're buried and we're raised. And the third thing is, is that the historical accounts of be, people being baptized in the New Testament show that you need a lot of water. You, you've got to have a lot of water. Listen to Acts uh, 8, um, the, the Ethiopian eunuch comes and, and he's writing with Philip and they come to faith and he comes to faith and he says, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? 
And so Philip agrees and says that he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Friends, you don't have to go down into the water to sprinkle somebody. You just need a cup of water. You can do everybody. It goes a long ways. They stop and they go down into the water. Uh, Similarly, uh, in John chapter 3, it says that John was baptizing at Aeon near Siloam because water was plentiful there. Because water was plentiful. The baptism of Jesus, it says that Jesus goes and he's baptized and as he's coming up out of the water, as he's coming up out of the water, baptism means immersion. It means immersion because of the... The, the, the word itself, it means immersion because of the theological significance of what is happening at baptism. And it means immersion because of the historical accounts within the New Testament. It's immersion. That's what it means to be baptized. So who should be baptized? That's our, our third question. Our last question is, who should be baptism, to baptized? We see why we should be baptized. Christ has commanded it. It represents on the outside, externally, to, it testifies what Christ has done on the inside. Uh, we've seen what it is. It, it means going down into the water, representing our death and burial with Christ, our raised to walk in newness of life. So the third question is, who? Who should be baptized? And the simple question is, or the simple answer is, believers. Believers should be baptized. <coughs> in the New Testament, only believers are baptized. Now, there's, there's two places where it says that so-and-so and their household were baptized. So-and-so and their household were baptized. And our Presbyterian friends say, See, look, babies! Friends, I have a household. <laughs> okay? I got six kids. My kids are age 13 through 7. They're all to a point to where they could understand, truly believe, and confess that Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior. To assume that that would only mean infants, that because it says household, that every household has an infant. We've got lots of households here. Who has infants? <laughs> I think there's one. <laughs> and that might even be toddler now. <laughs> You see, it's, it's an over-assumption to try to make this case. When the Bible so clearly shows, repent and believe and be baptized, that's the, that's, the biblical, that's the biblical model that we see over and over again. That's what we see in, in uh, Acts, at the beginning of Acts, at the new church. Peter says, Acts 2.38, Peter says to them, repent and be baptized. We believe in what's called credo baptism confessors baptism that those who should be baptized are those who confess their faith in jesus christ those who actually have a faith and belief in jesus christ those who can actually go undergo baptism because they're showing on the outside what what jesus has done on the inside See, it all makes sense. It all logically plugs together. We baptize those who have a faith in Jesus Christ. You come to faith in Jesus Christ, go into all the world, make disciples. Okay? Make disciples assumes that they have become Christians, that they've placed their faith in Jesus Christ, that they want to follow Him, that He is their Lord, that He is their Savior. And then what? Baptize them. Faith first, baptism second. That's what baptism is in the New Testament. That's what baptism is in the New Testament. 
Baptism is for those who have repented of their sins, for those who can say, I am a sinner, I need Jesus. They trust in him, he changes their life, and they want to show the world their identity in Jesus Christ. That's what baptism is. Some will ask, while we're going through questions, what age should someone be baptized? It's a good question. The Bible never says. I think, uh, I think that it's possible for a young person to have genuine faith in Jesus Christ. Timothy says, um, Paul writes to Timothy and says, you've known in the Scripture since you were a child. He says, since you were a little kid, you have known, you've had faith. I, I, I think that it's, it's reasonable to say that children can have faith. Jesus often points to children as an example of faith, of ones that can have faith. And so, so how do we do that? Well, we, we try to interview. We, we, we talk with everyone who's going to have baptism and see if they clearly understand and can articulate the gospel, their need for salvation, their trust in Christ, their love for him. We ask for evidence. We talk with the parents. Are you comfortable with this? Do you think that it's right? Do you see that, that, that this person truly loves Christ? And when it's time, we bring them for baptism. Now, I know some Baptist churches are almost like pedo-baptists. They're almost like Presbyterians. That, that, like, if you've got in your budget swim diapers for the baptistry, <laughs> you're probably pushing the line. You're probably pushing the line. So I, it's, it's case by case. Same with adults. You know, we, wanna, we want to baptize correctly. Why? Because we're saying to that person, we as a church are letting you into our membership, number one. We want to make sure that you're actually saved. And number two, we want to we wanna make sure that you know and trust the Lord so that you don't wind up being that person years from now that lives in a life of sin and say, oh, well, I was baptized. I must be good. Will we always get it right? No. But we'll make an effort, a prayerful effort each time. So who, who should be baptized? Believers. Now, let me, let me address another question quickly, and that's anytime you, you teach about baptism, the next question is, should I be rebaptized? Lots of individuals are always questioning and guessing, should I be rebaptized? Let me, let me speak to that for a moment. Um, Generally, I would say no. You should not be rebaptized. And Paul talks about in Ephesians, he talks about one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Okay? Just because you understand more about Christ and salvation today than you did when you were first in the faith doesn't mean that you need to be rebaptized. The whole idea about baptism is that it's something that we do early in the faith. We should continue to grow as disciples and learn and know more. Now, to an exception of that, I would say a couple of things. One, were you ba- baptized as an unbeliever? If you were baptized as an unbeliever, then yes, you should be baptized because you got wet. It wasn't baptism biblically. Secondly, if you were baptized as I- into a cult or a-, a cult situation, sometimes this happens, then yes, you should be baptized now that you've come to biblical faith and understanding in Jesus Christ. Perhaps you would say, I was baptized, I knew what I was doing, I, was, I, was an, you know, I wasn't an infant, but I didn't mean it. I know I wasn't saved at that point. Then yes, you should be baptized. 
Are we clear? Does that make sense? But if it's just, oh, I know more now about baptism than I used to. My life with the Lord now is, is better. Or sometimes individuals want to recommit their lives to the Lord and, and kind of turn a fresh page. And so they say, I want to be baptized again. Well, that's not, that's not the way it works. Um, we, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't renew our marriage vows every time that after we have a, an argument, right? Or, or when, you, when you wake up sometimes like I do and realize... My closet is full of clean clothes, and I didn't do any of this. Man, I love that woman. You know, I'm, I'm going to marry you again, right? No, we don't, we don't do that. And so baptism shouldn't be that way either. Let me, let me land the plane here. I want to talk, talk to three, three types of individuals that are listening to this sermon today. To three. And... And I think I've made a compelling case that baptism is important. It's commanded by Christ, biblically what it represents. And so we're left with three people who are listening here. First is those who are not Christians, those who say, I haven't been baptized, and I'm not sure I believe in Jesus Christ. Friends, first, you must come to Christ. You must recognize your need for him and trust in him. There's nothing extra you have to do. You don't have to clean up your life. You don't have to take care of all the wrongs that you've done. He's done that for you. You have to be willing to trust in him, to repent of your sins, and confess him as your Lord and Savior. And guess what? We'll baptize you. (laughs) We'll, We'll baptize you. But first, you have to have that in place. You have to trust in him. The second group here are individuals who are baptized. You know, there's something really interesting about baptism. Of all the things, you know, the, the, it says, teach them to obey all that I've commanded. Some of those things are difficult, right? Like, how do I love my wife as Christ loved the church? That's, that's a difficult thing that we're always going through and saying, am I doing it enough? Have I not done it? I failed here. Lord, help me do this better. I want to obey you. Baptism's the simplest thing that we could do, right? It is, it is, go, do it, you're done. Lord, I obeyed, <laughs> Right? It's, a, it's an easy commandment to fulfill, and some of you have done that. But there's lots of other areas in your life that you are not obeying what the Lord is commanding you. Don't just walk away from here going, oh, that was a great sermon, but I'm good because I was baptized. There's more to it. Baptism is only the start of our Christian life. It's designed to be the first thing that we do, the first step of obedience in the Lord. And there's many more. What's the step of obedience that Christ is calling you to now? I want you to respond to that and commit to that. And the third is, I imagine there's some of you that have not been baptized. Some of you who um, perhaps, like Krista, just really didn't know and it wasn't prioritized and life happened. Maybe some of you have been in a church for a long time and pride is holding you back from being baptized. You say, well, I've been here a long time. What are they going to think if I come forward? They're going to think you're a Christian, all right? It's a good thing. We're going to enjoy it. We're going to celebrate it. And you're going to be obedient to the Lord. Uh, what's holding you back? Would you be baptized? And so we're going to close with a song. And I want to invite all three of these groups. It covers all of us here. Now is the time to respond to the Lord. Either respond in salvation 
respond in commitment. Or perhaps you want to come forward and say, Bob, I'm ready to be baptized. I've fought it a long time. I didn't know. I want to be a part of the church. I want to be baptized. Perhaps the Lord's calling you to, to membership. I mean, baptism, baptism works with membership and its importance. How will you respond to the Lord? What is He calling you to do?